Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me at Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we will be talking about a couple of different things. The first thing we'll cover is the recent trade between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Florida Panthers. Then we'll talk about some of the young defenders and uh, forwards who might make an impact on Winnipeg's roster in the next two seasons before diving into a little bit of a live look at Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals between the Dallas Stars and Tampa Bay Lightning. Kicking us off, though, we do have an NHL trade to discuss. The offseason is definitely in full swing for a number of teams that are out of the postseason picture, and that definitely includes the Florida Panthers and Pittsburgh Penguins. They made a bit of a strange deal swapping Patrick Hornfist for Mike Matheson, and I think that for one team this deal makes significantly more sense in some ways than for the other squad, and the team that probably won the most out of this deal is the Florida Panthers. Now, you might be asking yourself how exactly a team that got older and less term control on a returning asset in Patrick Hornfist could possibly be considered the winner, and I think the reality is the player that they are trading away is Mike Matheson, who is at this stage of his career likely a third-pairing defenseman signed to a nearly $5 million contract up through 2026. No matter how you slice it, Matheson's deal is just miserable. It occupies a huge amount of cap space, especially for the kind of value that he brings, and Florida is looking to get, at some point, a little bit more money off the books, especially unproductive money. You might think that bringing in Hornquist is a bit of a mistake, and I think that in this case, what they're mostly looking to do is shed long-term salary. Patrick's deal expires in 2023, and I think that you would be looking to get that kind of money onto your roster while moving out somebody who signed for an additional three or four seasons. I think the Panthers are also very keenly aware that they're probably closer to a rebuild than they are being a competitive roster. I think that looking at where this team is and what they have on the books and what they have in terms of a lineup, opening night lineup, I think that they probably understand things are a little bit dire. You know, Bill Zito probably came in and thought, I have to fix this entire mess that Dale Talon left me. How do I conceivably move these contracts in the COVID era? And that's kind of why, for me, this Mike Matheson deal, at least for the Panthers, is a huge win. Hornquist is probably the more impactful player right now, and I think that Patty will be at least a, a serviceable veteran forward who can help bolster your top six, provide some leadership and spark, be a bit of a gritty influence, and is, most importantly, expiring in the not-too-distant future. Is he kind of a living fossil at this point? Sure, I, I think that we can all say that Hornquist at this stage of his career is definitely towards the end rather than in his prime. And that's fine. He's like, what, 33, 34, something like that? A couple seasons ago, he was definitely a really productive top nine to even top six forward. But of course, nowadays, he's mostly capable of playing in a depth role, which I don't think is the worst thing. Obviously, he is coming in at around five million or a little bit over five million for, you know, several more seasons on the books. But again, you're the Florida Panthers. You needed to find a way to shed Matheson's salary, especially his long-term salary, and this is like an ideal trade because you bring in somebody who's half the term at a relatively comparable salary level, and I think that that is a big deal, especially if you're Florida trying to eject an asset who, you know, the previous GM signed to a ridiculous contract, and he's just starting to get into it, really. As far as what Pittsburgh gets out of this, I think that there are a couple of schools of thought. I think the first is that uh, Todd Reardon apparently was talking about 
at least salvaging some of these defenders who have struggled to put up really decent results and performances. Of course, we're all talking about Jack Johnson in most situations, but Matheson would definitely fall under the same category. I think that Mike can be an effective 5D at some point, but for me, I just don't really understand why you would trade away an asset with a shorter contract term and a comparable salary hit for yet another defenseman who's really not going to move the needle. If Matheson was a second-pairing guy, okay, I could understand the argument, but I don't think that he's really capable of being that, except if, if Reardon or any of the other coaching staff was able to find a way to make him a more effective player. He does have some minor offensive upside, but again, I'm looking at this contract and the way that he plays and what he brings, and I'm just not really understanding how exactly this really improves the Penguins. I think it just makes their long-term picture even muddier. You take away a quality, productive forward who does fit the way that Pittsburgh likes to play, and you sub in for a spot that's traditionally never been Pittsburgh's strength. I, I don't understand where Matheson really fits in in this lineup. You know, they, they forced Jack Johnson, and, and there's a pretty decent argument that, for the most part, when Johnson was on the ice, the Penguins pretty much got massacred, and it was a bit of a bloodbath, especially in the underlying scoring attempts. There's a reason that they lost to Montreal, and unfortunately, Johnson was on the ice for a lot of the Habs' goals. So I, I don't really know if Matheson is going to improve that situation, and I don't really know, even if, if he's able to turn his results around, what exactly you're going to get with him. He does have some offensive upside, like his shot's not bad, and I think that he is capable of being a transition skater, but he doesn't really do it a whole lot, and I don't really think that he's the kind of defender who takes part in a lot of build-up play. He can definitely hit guys, but, you know, aside from that, I'm just not really feeling this trade at all. I think it also points out the fact that a lot of teams are going to have to figure out what to do with long-term deals, especially deals with money, because right now with the COVID situation and the likely flat cap coming up, teams are going to be looking to trade players. Some folks have su suggested that it might actually make deals and trades easier because teams need to be a little bit more incentivized to move players, and a flat cap would certainly do that. By the same token, I think you're also going to see it also become harder for a lot of teams that don't have a lot of cap space to begin with because then they have to find a, a suitable trade partner and there's going to be some kind of leverage if you need to dump salary. Given the fact that Winnipeg is kind of in a spot where they do have some salary opening up and they have a, at least a pipeline that's going to need to be replenished in the near future, there might be an opportunity to take on some short-term expiring salary from teams that are trying to compete and look for at least some kind of a, a temporary cap space allotment that they can use to maybe bring in a free agent. The Jets aren't really known to do a lot of dead cap or, or empty salary kind of stuff because, for the most part, Winnipeg has always seen itself as a contender over the past couple of seasons, and I think that they are more comfortable leaving that space open because, again, they want to make sure that they're not spending salary on players who aren't contributing actively to the success of the team. With where the pipeline is, though, I, I think that they maybe need to rethink that, especially with teams that are, are certainly hurting for cap space right now and could use a little bit of temporary relief. If you can get some extra assets, I trust Winnipeg scouting enough to really make use of those draft picks, and I'm comfortable with the Jets not exactly being a top-end contender until they can start figuring out what to do with the rest of the roster. If they go in the opposite direction and instead want to be competitive, well, obviously they need to start doing a couple of other trades for more productive players and looking for a second-line center, as well as a top-end defender. I just don't really know where any of these guys are going to come from on the trade market because, again, teams are probably not going to be looking to, to remove guys who are 
at least under contract control and at reasonable cap hits. I do foresee Winnipeg having some young guys who might step in next year, and in just a moment, we will talk a little bit more about who some of these players are and what roles they might fill over the next couple of seasons, including as soon as next year. But before then, I did want to tell you a little bit about the brand new and improved Built Bar. Much like building an NHL roster, building your muscle mass and a really good diet and workout regimen requires balance. Oftentimes, though, you might have to sacrifice flavor and appeal for getting the functionality of what stuff like protein bars and pre-workout mixes bring. Built Bar, though, doesn't believe in the same principles. They have come up with a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. I've personally had a couple of their original flavors, including mint brownie and raspberry, both of which get my personal recommendation and a stamp of approval. But Built Bar is not content to rest on their laurels. They're back and better than ever with six new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. With flavors this good, you might be surprised to know that almost all of them come at under 200 calories or less, 5 grams of net carbs, and around 15 to 19 grams of protein. Built Bars taste great and are perfect for you, whether you're on a weight loss program or a weight maintenance program as well. And they're also perfect for keto diets, as they're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com to get $10 off your next order. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets show. Earlier, I was talking a bit about how a lot of teams right now are starting to make trades, and we've seen a few deals, including Matheson for Patrick Hornqvist, which I guess is some kind of an attempt for one team to drop salary, while another team is maybe trying to improve their back end. I'm not really sure what Pittsburgh thinks it's doing, but maybe they think they can salvage Matheson. As far as what the Jets might do this offseason, I think that that remains a really big question. But one thing that we do know is that we will probably start seeing some younger players entering the lineup within the next season or two. Who among these guys might be someone to keep an eye out for? Because as far as forward prospects go, I think the Jets are probably running a little bit thinner. But they still have some guys who are already in the system and might be good. You know, maybe the bigger question is also defenders, right? Amongst the current crop of defensemen in Winnipeg system, are any of them going to be NHL caliber in the near future? And I think obviously there are a couple of clear yeses, and I think we already know at least one of them is going to be Vili Heinola. Vili, of course, is an excellent skater already. He's been dominating Liga in terms of just controlling play when he's on the ice, and we've already seen that in his eight-game NHL sample, he actually might be more of an effective offensive defenseman than people expected. I think a lot of his points generation comes from the fact that he just seems to be really smart about when he makes his passes, when he activates in the offensive zone, and the fact that he's also capable of finding forwards in good positions, and he is always just involved in offensive buildup. I think that that's something that's very good for a kid his age, and especially with the kind of skill sets that he brings. Heinola is a very brainy, high IQ defender with really good positioning, pretty good edge work, and just general all-around awareness, which I think is perfect when you need a, a really well-balanced D, especially in the offensive zone. Right now, Winnipeg doesn't have many skaters who are, are good at transitioning out from the back, getting the puck up the ice, and creating offensive opportunities while in conjunction with their forwards. Heinola will 100% do that, and I'm also expecting some similar things from Dylan Sandberg. I think that Sandberg is going to be more NHL-ready than people imagine him to be, although he definitely will need some time to acclimate. He's playing, you know, from the NCAA up to pro level, and he's probably going to skip the moose barring a surprise. Even if he does sit with the moose, I think it'll only be for a handful of games. I think that he's more than likely going to impress in training camp, and probably exit preseason having seized a starting role for the Jets, most likely in like a third-pairing spot. 
I think that Dylan's got a really big frame with pretty good skating, a really big shot, and a pretty decent IQ in terms of play reading ability, so I, I would expect him to be an impact player sooner rather than later. He definitely will need a bit more work than Heinola does just because, again, he's coming from a much lower level of competition, and he's not quite as mature as Heinola is. I think Vili, for his age, is just well beyond his years and plays like a veteran D, kind of like Toby Enstrom in some ways. A bit further in the future, I could see Leon Gavanki making a push, and I also expect that at some point, the offensive dynamo that is Declan Chisholm will also make an appearance. Both Gavanki and Chisholm are probably a bit further away, and they definitely need some development, especially in adding physical strength, and also just getting a bit more up to speed at the NHL pace, because obviously you have less time to make decisions, and the spacing grows a lot closer. I do anticipate, though, that at least one of those two guys will be an impact NHLer, and very possibly a second-pairing guy. Declan seems to be doing pretty well in the CHL, so maybe he eventually seizes a role with a moose in the coming season or two, and Gavanki has definitely taken significant strides since his Cape Breton days, as he's spent a rookie season with the moose. So hopefully one of these guys pans out. I think that both have the potential to be really fun, dynamic offensive defensemen. But of course, we definitely need to see improvement in their defensive games before they start getting really regular minutes. On the forward side of things, I also think that we'll see more of David Gustafson and Christian Veselainen in, in the near future. Now, Veselainen's probably the most likely prospect of the Jets' wingers to get traded because he is a pretty star-studded prospect as far as the Jets are concerned. Relative to the rest of the league, he's probably not as highly regarded, but I think he has plenty of skill, plenty of talent, and he brings a couple of really good traits that teams are going to love. He also plays in a position from which the Jets have quite a bit of roster depth, so he's a, a, you know potentially a top nine, even a top six winger down the road, and the Jets have lots of those already, so maybe he gets moved for a center or a defender. Gustafson is definitely the guy who's most likely to have a more immediate impact for the Jets as far as their roster forwards are concerned. I know that his early sample at the NHL level wasn't exactly impressive in terms of what he did, especially in a fourth-line role, but I think it's also really important to remember that he stepped into a, a significantly harder league than the SHL. He was asked to play with guys like Logan Shaw and Gabriel Bork, and I think that even though the underlying results were pretty horrific, especially in the 20 or so games that he played for the Jets, I think that we saw some of the techniques and things that should yield better results as time goes on. He's still a very smart forward, I think that his positioning is good, and eventually as he starts acclimating to the NHL level, or even the AHL level as he gets more familiar with North American ice, I think Gus is going to have a really good progression with this team. I don't think that he's going to be stealing the second line starting role anytime in the near future. You know, maybe a season or two down the road, we could see him start pushing for that spot, but certainly not this coming season. I think he's got work to do. And, you know, first they'll want to see him dominate those softer bottom six minutes before they give him a promotion. Maurice definitely doesn't trust the kids as much unless they really kind of give him something to work with in terms of looking like you have really good defensive acumen and two-way play. And thus far, Gustafson is still working on that. I don't think it'll be long, though, before he starts getting talked about in the same breath as like a Vili Heinola. Gustafson seems like an incredibly smart, hardworking player. He's got some underrated offensive tools, and I hope that sooner rather than later he gets a second-line role because I think that he could be what Winnipeg needs down the middle, especially on that second line. The rest of the Winnipeg Jets' future remains a bit murky at this point, but we will know more about this team and especially what the uh, the near-term future looks like after the October 6th draft, where we hopefully get a new center to bring to this team, or at least a really fun offensive prospect who can help reignite this team. Up next, we will be talking a little bit about the Stanley Cup Finals and give you a live look at this game that is ongoing between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Dallas Stars. But before then, I did want to kind of keep it Winnipeg-centric and tell you a bit about your story 
Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. I am something of a self-professed geek. I grew up with lots of anime, comics, video games, all that fun stuff, and then of course as I got older, I became more of a geek about sports. I still enjoy a lot of that other stuff though, you know, I definitely enjoy lots of the comic book turned TV series and movies that are out right now, but there's there's such a variety of content available and it can be hard to find something that's really unique, that really speaks to you, or even has a bit of a local flavor. That's why Your Story's line of publication seems very interesting to me. I recently got to check out their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in an alternate version of Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural, hard-boiled detective series fusing Mad Men, Sin City, and The X-Files. You can check out the first issue in ebook form at yourstory.ca for just $1.99, or pick up a limited edition first printing run of their 85 by 11 hard copy for $11.99. If you're into video games, be sure to check out their upcoming self-published game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can learn more about Alien Machine Glow, as well as Your Story's other comic books, including Eon, Through Space and Time and Stuff, and Undercover UFO, by surfing on over to yourstory.ca. And when you place an order, be sure to use one-time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. Welcome back to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show. Before we close off tonight, I wanted to give you a little bit of a live look in at Tampa Bay versus Dallas Stars. This one is game three of the Stanley Cup Finals. And much like the rest of the series, it's been a bit of a pendulum swing, although right now the pendulum is very heavily swinging in Tampa Bay's favor. Dallas kind of came out with a little bit of a, uh, a tentative start, and then Tampa Bay ended up getting on the board first with two quick goals, including one from returning captain Steven Stamkos. This is obviously a big deal for Tampa Bay because Stamkos has been sidelined for a very long time, and I think that, you know, Tampa was really just waiting for this moment, especially something to celebrate with Steven coming back. And I don't really know if you can have a better start than scoring a nice little goal going far post and in. And it's something that, of course... You know, Kudobin will probably think that he should have had, but nothing you can really do. Stamkos is Stamkos, although he might not appreciate that being the second goal in about a minute and a half span. Again, Dallas kind of had some issues because even though they struggled early, they were able to start generating a lot of scoring opportunities, but they also kind of tempered that with taking a number of penalties. Thankfully for them, they actually ended up clawing one goal back from Jason Dickinson. This one shorthanded after a bit of a weird sequence uh, around Tampa Bay's net as they were trying to exit the zone. Dickinson kind of sniped a pretty ridiculous shot off of a very short opportunity. So I think, you know, obviously Dallas felt like they were in this. They were massively outshooting the Lightning and things were looking up. And then they had a couple of opportunities to tie the game, including a chance that Tyler Sagan had whiffed on. I think that that one is probably going to haunt them because towards the second period, everything just kind of shifted back in Tampa Bay's favor. And before you knew it, they were up 4-1. Some not very good penalties, a power play goal from Hedman, and then a three-on-one goal that was caused by a really bad Dallas Stars line change just kind of sank whatever the Stars had going. Dallas didn't really try and sit back. I think Tampa Bay just kind of took over the rest of the game. And the second period was really not not too good. They've got a few minutes left in the second frame, and I think that Dallas at this point is just trying to hope for at least a goal from somewhere to get a little bit of a momentum boost heading into the third period, but I'm pretty sure that this one is basically signed, sealed, and delivered. Dallas, after that first frame, kind of put itself in a deeper hole, and then in the second period, everything just kind of fell apart, and I don't really see them coming back in this game. If Stamkos is able to stay healthy for the rest of the series, I think Dallas might just be cooked. Kudobin hasn't been able to make some of those magical supernatural saves that he was in the first game, and I don't know that that's necessarily his fault. I mean, Tampa Bay is just pouring on tons of scoring opportunities, 
and I don't know that he should be expected to try and carry a load for a team that really hasn't been able to generate much of anything after that opening first period. The series is definitely not over, but this is going to be a tough one if Dallas isn't able to figure out something that involves them creating actual even-strength offense, especially against the Tampa Bay team that is this good. Speaking of being this good, Tampa Bay just scored another goal, and it is now 5-1, and I think you could probably write this one off as, as a bit of a loss. Andre Palat scored, and he's had a pretty nice series so far, including a power play goal in Game 2. This Lightning squad, man, is just a really good team with a ton of offensive depth and not too many weaknesses, and I think that at this point, Dallas was lucky to get this far, but barring a really big surprise, I don't know that this series is going to be able to turn in their favor. With that, I bid you adieu. Before you log off, be sure to check out the Locked On National podcast hosted by Sarah Evampato for more general NHL news, and check in with our Locked On affiliate shows, including Locked On Lightning and Locked On Stars to get more team-specific views of this Stanley Cup final series. Thanks so much for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!